Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. And this is Isaiah. For all the replacing, uh, the, yeah, missing it, mixing the action. But uh, for all the OG listeners, the the three of you, we we got the OG BS uh, BSer back here, Isaiah, after a long uh, sabbatical for uh, for law school. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I decided to take a break from classes. You know these Big Ten classes that I'm taking over at Rutgers. Uh, for some of you. I don't know if anyone knows this. I don't know why I would expect for you all to know this, but I'm at law school at Rutgers. I decided to keep it Big Ten, and I actually secretly orchestrated the realignment deal. So if anybody's upset or happy about UCLA coming to the Big Ten, uh, you can thank or hate me. Uh, But no, it's going really well. I'm happy to be back here and fill in for Kevin and, you know, do a little switcheroo while he's on vacation, enjoying his end of the summer vacation. Yeah, happy to happy to have you back, man. We've missed you. Uh Kevin's yeah, Kevin's traipsing around Europe or something. I don't know what he's doing. Uh missing football. I don't know who travels during college football season, but here we are. Kevin is is off in Europe. But yeah, it's good to good to have you back. Good to have a, another Big 10 perspective here. Have you gone to a Rutgers game? Did you go? No, I've had tickets. That's the closest, but as you know, when I have tickets, that doesn't guarantee that mean, I will yeah. be there. And so uh, we're. I'm planning to go to the Virginia Tech one in two two weeks. But again, planning is we'll see if that comes into fruition. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am keeping an eye on Rutgers and seeing how they do things over here on the East Coast, Jersey, uh, Jersey Pride. But uh, yeah, they're they're doing good so far. They had a great debut. But this is not the the Scarlet Knight source. So. The, this is this it. is true, and so you're you're the crazy person who's watching UCLA football at like one a.m. Yes, very comfortably oh, in my on my couch. I used to. Uh, I don't know if any listeners. Uh, I'm gonna give myself out here, but I did do the the game watch chair for the the New York chapter for about two years, maybe or a year two two and a half years. So I used to be at many games at the bars prior to law school, and now I am enjoying it from my couch, taking a break. I'm gonna go to the big games. Uh, are at uh, very much more ideal times during the week, and then, uh, but yeah, this this game I was on my couch enjoying it, very cozy, as you know. But you were at the Rose Bowl. Tell me about how that was for the opening weekend. I was at weekend, the Rose Bowl. Um, we were we were actually texting about this. We we're trying to figure out who's crazier to actually travel to the Rose Bowl to watch whatever the hell we just watched or to stay up till 1 a.m. to watch that. I, I, it's still still up in the air, but it's. Uh, I think I think we have, both have mental health issues for wanting to subject ourselves to UCLA football. But I think that's been established for years already. Yeah, and I don't think this game helped. I think no. this is... I, I, I think the theme of this game was insanity. And <laughs> so, you know, there's... No, so on what? that note, so the, so to answer your question, the Rose Bowl was good. Um, you know, a decent crowd. I think the official number was 43,000. Uh, right. So definitely a much better, more lively crowd than what we saw basically any game last year minus the uh, Southern Cal game. So it was good to see actually people out there, people excited. Um, they did the, the Maui relief ticket. So if you made a $10 or more donation to any of some specific, uh, charities, 
you would get two free tickets to the game. So I think there were a lot of people out there for that. Uh, we took advantage of that as well. They gave us great seats. I think they were trying to <laughs> trying to pack the house as much as they can. So it was a it was a good good turnout. It was a good good atmosphere. Nothing crazy, but you know we got some fans in the stands. And uh, one one thing on the the mental health note is for some reason, I know one of our coaches started saying the get your mind right, but for yeah. some reason they have this like weird like hype chant that they're trying to do at the Rose Bowl that's like, get your mind right, hey, that they keep flashing up on the the screen and like this weird graphic to like try to hype you up. And it's like the most bizarre thing because there's no way anybody on earth is getting their mind right watching UCLA football. <laughs> that's, that, I think that speaks to the out of tone. I mean, now that we talked about I think I, I first of all I want to give a shout out from three thousand miles away of the fans who showed up, and I don't say that because of the past you know couple of years or how UCLA has taken a hit in the media or even self criticism amongst the fan base, but there was a lot going on in LA. So between the Dodgers, between the Beyonce concert at SoFi, there was an earlier game at USC, and we know there's there tends to be a few thousand people who are casuals and have two jerseys in the city. <clears throat> um, and then also the MLS game last night, there was a lot going on this weekend. So I know the time was more favorable. I know, I think a lot of people actually came out for Dante. And I think, like you said, the AD did a good uh, job of, well, I don't know, I heard critiques of marketing and I'm, I'm sure there weren't billboards up about the game and there could have been done more. However, they did a good job of filling the bowl on TV in the lower half. Cause I found in other I used to watch like the past years and I'm like, why don't they just send people to the lower bowl? Like it's all optics, right? And so it did look decently filled. And luckily, I think we we escaped without being, uh, you know, again, a poster boy for apathetic fan bases. I think Miami took that mantle this past weekend. So (laughs) shout out to the fans for showing up. But I'm sure that back to your thing about the game in game experience. It also was very quiet on TV at times, and then it got very loud on third down. I know UCLA fans are, while I just gave them a shout out, are still don't know the, I don't know, we like lost our spirit in rooting, which we can attribute to, you know, the kind of key figures that we lost who used to lead the chant and really take on the in-game experience. It just seems like that is a place for improvement. And I can feel it on TV. I was like, this sounds like a tennis match some of the times. I know the flags didn't help, and the game itself really wasn't the most uh, flowing game. Uh, and then, but I, I get your mind right is just hilarious, and I think it speaks to like the out of touch nature that <laughs> sometimes our school it, has. Uh, it was. It's just the weirdest, weirdest chant to try to get behind. And I, I went to the game with my wife, and she was like, "What the hell is this? Like, I, this is not a chant I can get behind." But weirdly enough, by the end of the game, it was like stuck in my head. So something about it was working to to be just like it just kept playing in my head. It was kind of hypnotic. Um, but it, you have you watched any of the um, the camp videos? They they do that chant. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I knew where it was coming from, but it's it's. I think it works with when you're in the team huddle or when you're at practice and you have a group of players like you know, using that. That's one thing. 
trying to get a crowd of fans like hyped for a game. I I'm not trying to get my mind right at the game. <laughs> like that's not the purpose of me being here. I so I I don't I don't know. It just it felt like you said out of touch. It was not not what what uh, I think anybody was looking for. But but to your earlier point about fan experience, I I think you know you you talk about people some of those the the leaders that used to be around you know leading chance uh, jeff strand comes to mind and he's been gone for several years now but and we've talked about this before like this has been since covid the fan the game experience really has kind of gone downhill both at the rose bowl and at poly pavilion and i think a large part of that and this is going to be ironic for coming from me because I, we used to clown on these people a lot when we were students and even afterwards. But the the yell leaders who used to go around the crowd with signs and get people hyped up and lead them in chants in like certain sections, those kids are no longer there for whatever reason. I don't know if it's budget cuts or they just haven't been able to fill those positions. I don't know what the reason is. But those guys, those guys were, I think, really instrumental in keeping parts of the 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 uh, stadiums like lively and chanting and doing stuff. And now they're not there, so everyone's a little aimless. Um, they do have yell leaders kind of on the field doing stuff, trying to get people hyped up, but they're, I think they're a little too far. And the other thing is, this there's not enough people leading, like eight claps on the big screen or anything like no one's doing that you do it they do it like once a game maybe twice a game and it's just not enough so yeah i we've been saying this i've been saying this for three two three years now like they need to do better at this i will say they did have a much better person leading eight claps this year when they did do it last couple of years there was somebody who would just be the pace was just really slow and really off and now they have somebody who's actually putting some energy and enthusiasm into it. So that was good to see. But yeah, there's some some elements lacking overall. um, How's the the California love thing? Has that kind of worn off? I feel like that's pretty boomer. Like in terms of our generation, we're fine. But I couldn't imagine being a 21-year-old really feeling the vibes to California love every single... So, yeah, I mean, I... It's a classic song, right? So I feel like it's not necessarily something that's age-related. I think people still get into it, and they do a really cool thing with the lights now. I don't know if they... You probably don't see that on TV, but they um, they kind of turn off the lights, and they have like a light show with the lights around the stadium. Uh, so it does add like a cool atmosphere. So when you have a big crowd in there, it it is it gets pretty hyped up. So like last year for the Southern Cal game, when that came on, people people got excited. Um, so yeah, it, I I think it still hits. I think with the light show, it's pretty cool. I feel like they had a lot of fireworks this game. I don't know if this is a home opener thing or or something, but um, before kickoff, obviously they have the like thirty minute mark, but then. After the anthem, they had a bunch of fireworks, and then in the middle, like during, maybe it was the first touchdown of the game. I don't remember. They they had another instance of fireworks, so we were pretty pretty surprised to see that many pyrotechnics going on. But 
Um, so that was kind of interesting. But yeah, the, the California love thing, I think it's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it inherently. Fair enough. So on to the game. What, uh, what <laughs> do you want to cover the goods or the bads? <laughs> the, the. Uh, we could we could do a compliment sandwich, I guess. You know, I guess. But it it was funny. I was thinking back. One of my friends who is a Big Ten, big Michigan fan. Uh, he but he 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 dates a Bruin, <clears throat> and he asked me before, like probably in the afternoon on Saturday, how do I feel about Coastal? And I said, you know, I expect us to win by ten plus, but I think we're just gonna make it harder than it needs to be, and. I was thinking back to that as I was watching that game, and not in the sense that I wanted to feel validated, but the fact that I had seen Chip Kelly enough in non-conference games to kind of get an idea what to expect in his sixth year, and it just frustrated the hell out of me. I was like, what is it about this that is more annoying than it needs to be? Um, he thinks it's a preseason NFL game. It really felt like like a spring game <laughs> in terms of those rotations it just made zero sense. I like, I'm curious how you, you know, from your, your, your seats watch things, you know, from the moment you saw Garbers go in because we got the ball first. Like, what was it like for you to, 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 to just have this anticipation that you knew things weren't set on certain rotations, key rotations. So, no, when Garbers was going to start the game, it wasn't surprising. And that first drive, he looked decent. Like, he looked okay. He looked good. I'll give him that. He looked good. He he was playing confidently. He, he wasn't second-guessing anything. He was, you know, making the right reads and right throws. And I, I was like, okay. <laughs> um, this is good. This is what we've seen out of out of Ethan Garbers in the past, right? He's he can be solid and he can be steady and he can be a good game manager. And I think that's his ceiling, right? He's going to be a good game manager. We're not he he at this point I think we can confidently say he's not a guy that we're going to lean on ever to lead a team to victory. Like he's not a guy that we can expect to carry on his back, but he's a guy who can manage a game really well, make the right throws and um, you know, move the offense and that's what we need him to do. As soon as he started stiffing it, stiffening up, as soon as things started going south for him a little bit, he, he didn't respond very well obviously. <laughs> I think we can say that. He was not he was not responding well to adversity here. You could see it on the field. He was holding the ball way too long. He was just standing there and getting wrecked. And we can get to pass protection later, but he it was obvious he had no feel in the pocket. And at that point, there was, I think, the crowd in general. Anybody who was new or knows UCLA football, the crowd was feeling anxious. When do we get to see Dante Moore out there? And there were pockets of the the stadium that started chanting, like, we want Dante or Dante Moore's name, while Ethan Garbers was still on the field, which has not got to be a great feeling for him, right? Like, that sucks. But at the end of the day, like, you, you got you to gotta win the game here. And if you have a guy out there that we know is still in a QB competition and he's not doing well, uh, you got to see the, the other guy play it. 
Um, and as soon as more came on, there was like, it felt like a sigh of relief in the crowd. Like, I don't know what they were, ex- we were all expecting, but we were expecting it to be no worse than what we'd already seen. <laughs> right. And I, I think everybody knew the upside that was there. So at least there was that. We knew what we had with Garbers, but we didn't know what we had with, with Dante Moore. And everybody kind of has read about the upside, but now well, let's see it on the field. And boy, did we see that upside on the field. I mean, it was very obvious. I think you put it really, really well, Isaiah. When we were texting during the game, I think you said, like, imagine going to the racetrack and you have a Ferrari to go race other cars and instead you take the boring safe choice and you like take a Honda Civic out on the track. Like that was the situation where you had boring, reliable Honda Civic, Ethan Garbers, and you had, you know, Dante Moore, young, fast Ferrari. And for whatever reason, Chip Kelly kept going to the Honda like time and time again. For for locker room reasons, you know, and I think most of us, you you said like we expected Garbers to to start, but we thought he was going to be a Corvette. We didn't think he was going to be the Ferrari, but we thought he was going to be solid, and he showed that on the first drive as you as you went over. And you know, from the TV perspective, I'm not going to repeat what you said, but I'm going to just fill in what I watched and what I saw after he threw that check down on third and seven that was to cover TJ Harden, um, he just walked off the field with his head kind of down. And you just knew. You were like, all right, we've already seen online. I think Bro reported that Dante Moore on Twitter was warming up at this point, and so it had been about 10 minutes. So you knew, and Garbers knew. He was like, well, my series are up for the half or might be up for the game, you know? And that uh, the combination of that head down and then – the chanting in the of the more you know we want Dante or we want more from the stadium as you just put it or you heard like it doesn't rise it doesn't give a player's confidence and I the one thing I want to say about Garbers because I mean we we expect to see him during San Diego State just as you because of the reasons you said that how Chip Kelly treats non-conference games um, but it is it, it's hard for him to be in that position when he knows he has such a talented. Uh, quarterback who has been labeled a gamer, you know, this has been topic debate about gamer and what does that mean in, in football, um, you know, breathing down his neck. There's this, uh, I'm not going to compare Dante Moore to Lewis Hamilton, but I'm going to bring in the F1 comparison that Alonzo, two-time champion Alonzo, who in his own right is really great, right? But seven-time champion uh, Lewis, there's this saying that you never want Lewis Hamilton in your rearview mirror. Uh, and I think that's what how Garbers feels about Dante Moore. He's there. He's warming up. And it, it, it's just tough. It's a tough position to be. But it is the reality of college football these days. Uh, I One thing I also want to say about Garbers is that I was personally disappointed. I, I, and I say personally as if this has to do with me. But I was invested in Garbers <laughs> like in high sad. school. Yeah, Garber's dad. I was like, first chase, and we'll get to that chase thing in a moment with the post game comments. But um, uh, Ethan was someone I was I really wanted at UCLA when he first committed to to Washington, and I thought he was going to be such kind of that gamer because he was putting up record TDs. He was breaking California records. I think he won California Player of the Year. 
the his senior year and he just he felt like he had that it factor from what i've seen and in in high school you know even with his brother starting at cal it was kind of like oh but there's a younger garbers who is coming so when he transferred to us and i knew he was in the realm i knew that you know sometimes he had so-so series he had a good game and he'll come in i remember the oregon a couple years ago and I, this is not a Ethan Garber's memorial, but it might be. But uh, he in Oregon, and frankly, he, it probably he, should be. And it should be, but you know, against Oregon, he almost won us that game. I think two seasons back when we had the game day, and before he threw, which you know was I interception to end the game, but it was still a great series, and we felt like we had a chance against well, even heavily favored Oregon. Even look at the pit game. He played well in that game for the most part. Like I think he's shown flashes of of being a competent QB, and I, I think having him in the QB room, having him as a backup guy, there's no shame in that, and he's a good guy to have in that position because I do think he he's more than capable enough to come in and manage games. No, I I think you're completely right. I think that. But there was just errant mistakes before Dante came in that 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 interception where he threw within the zone was like he had a man open on the flats. I don't know who it was, but he it would have been an easy TD that would have solidified. He would have probably played the whole first half if that was the case. He would have had two TDs, but he missed a completely open. And that's when he started to press on his reads. I think. That first TD that went so well against Coastal Carolina is very so-so secondary, and that's one of their weaknesses. Um, kind of, I think he put pressure back on himself to keep it going because he knew he had two quarterbacks. We didn't even talk about Schley, and that's one thing. But we don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Schley. But he, it was the expectations were that he wasn't going to get the full game, and that's a tough position to be in. But he completely, you know, if we had to grade it. And uh, I would give him a, a C plus uh, on how he played because while he had some flashes, the way he handled the moment, it was just not something uh, you want from for for against the Sun Belt team and in your home turf. He should have seized it. And yeah, let's move on to Dante. What was it like seeing him? And I will say this one thing before you you give your impression. He on TV, you saw him when he got in. He went in and he just breathed. He like took this big sigh of relief, closed his eyes, and you're like, all right, it's game time. And he does also the Steph Curry thing. I know the Curry comparisons, but he has the mouth guard where he holds it outside his mouth. And I was like, oh, just we're chewing on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the first, the first moment of Dante Moore, I, we were, I think the whole, the stadium was hyped. And when he came in, I was hyped. I was like, all right, like, let's go. Let's watch this kid. Let's see if he's he's everything that he's been built to be. And his first play was just a handoff. Um, and even for the handoff, like, people were excited. They're like, oh, good handoff, good handoff. Look at that. That's a, that's a pro handoff right there. Like, I think in general, the whole stadium, including myself, we're, we were just excited to see the new guy on the field, like, Again, we've seen Ethan Garbers. This was the guy who was supposed to be the heir apparent, right? Like, this is the guy who's supposed to be the next big QB for UCLA for the next uh, couple of years. We 
you know, out-recruited Oregon for him. He's coming from Detroit. He's, you know, the second best ranked player in the ESPN 100. Like, all these things around him that made him this, like, bigger-than-life figure. Um, and he came in, and there was just, like, a, an electricity, I think, across the, the fans. I was like, let's let's see how he does. And he delivered. Like, he came in there and just you could see that he had so much more pocket awareness, so much more feel for the game. Like he he was not just going to stand there and get hit. Right? He was going to stand there and you know make his reads, move around the pocket when he needs to and make the the throw. Like he was going to try to make difficult throws and he made difficult throws. I mean that his like second or first throw down the field where he kind of escaped some pressure running to his right and tossed it down the field for 30, 40 yards. I don't remember how long it was to uh, JMS on the sideline was a thing of beauty. Like he put that ball where only he JMS could catch that on the sideline uh, and just made a huge play on the move. Like that was what we were seeing. He just popped off the, the field, like as the a guy who, could potentially and probably at some point will be the best player on the field regardless of who we're playing. Like he he you could see that kind of talent with him. And then when he had in the second half when he came back, and, and then let's before we even get there, when Garbers came back in the second half, there was a tangible like deflation amongst the crowd. I think there was just and again, this is unfortunate and unfair to the kid. I don't think he's a bad kid or, or anything. But again, like you said, this is college football. There was like a collective groan, which is unfortunate. But it is what it is. I mean, I I, I thought in the first half, Dante Moore showed more than enough to be the starter going forward, at least in this game. Who knows what's going on in Chip Kelly's mind, but... Uh, he he had just pop, was popping on the on the field, and then he came he came out and was Garber's time again, and everyone was kind of like ugh, this again. And then when Chase, not Chase, Ethan, you got me all confused by keep you kept saying Chase's name. Um, <laughs> when Ethan made that second interception, where look, I know he got hit while he was throwing the ball. But if you watch that play, he held the ball way too long. And then when he knew he was going to get hit, when there was clear, like, two guys about to hit him, he just flung that ball up. He should have held on to it there, taken the sack. When he threw that interception, it was like, all right, we we can't keep doing this. <laughs> uh, and it was it was frustrating at that point. And then... It felt like when Dante came back in the game after that, when we got the ball back, there was a little bit of a re- sigh of relief again. And then his first throw was a touchdown. So, I don't know. And, and not only was it a touchdown, it was, I mean, if you go to the play-by-play on ESPN, it was just, it, it's only one play, right? And and Dante you should have seen it on the screen again i don't think you could see it he just like he did his little handshake with his o line but he was so unmoved again it's that kind of thing you see with Caleb Williams you see with uh with Steph Curry it's i'm telling you it's like a light skin just like it's ice in his uh, veins man ice in his veins like that Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes and 
And it was it was so I you know I I got used to it and I didn't mind because I I felt like DTR celebrating was good because it brought like fan engagement, but it was such the opposite of how DTR would be. It was just like yep you know business, business as usual kind of this yeah. yeah and and to see some freshmen in his first game I hadn't seen a freshman throw like that since Rosen against Virginia. And 2015, you know, that Virginia game was all-timer for a UCLA true freshman. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 I think it, it just spoke to – it gave everybody validation of why this kid should be playing a full game um, and should be starting. And I that- think that moment was when the locker room knew. Like, Chip Kelly was like, okay, I have gotten – like I don't need to do anymore. Like, and I I want to go back to what you said, like the the tangible deflation or you know the collective like uh, like groan about Garbers going in. I think you know as much as I hated it personally, I think that was the right move that Chip Kelly had to do. Um, as frustrating as this all is, I think if he wants to keep team chemistry, Garbers is one of the most popular players on the team. He's been around the program for three. This is going on to his third year. Uh, like it, it is, it's frustrating what we have to sacrifice. We probably sacrificed about seven to three points in this game. Right. And, you know, betters would be annoyed. Luckily I'm a reform better, but because we would have covered, but, uh, Chip Kelly, I think he, he had to put Garbers in, but after interception, like he let things play out. Garbers knew he didn't go to the sideline saying he didn't get a fair chance. Right. And no one on that sideline felt like he didn't get a fair chance. He started the second half. He threw a very errant, clear mistake that was on him. And then right after comes out this this beautiful TD by the freshman, the the Ferrari. Like you see, it, it, I think it did. That was a sigh of relief because you're like, okay, we don't need any more evidence. It's all here. Um, yeah, that, that was throw thing. was a thing of beauty, though. That that yeah. play, like hang that thing that, up in the Louvre. I I think for you it, it's funny because I I clowned you for going to the Rose Bowl. We talked about this earlier in the episode. I was mad already you, at that point. I was ready to leave. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, and and Zed never leaves. By the way, I, I that's not true. One or twice. Games. That's not one true. or two games. I left one or two. I what? have left. I left Fresno State last. Or who did we lose to last year or two years ago? It was Fresno State, twenty twenty one, after the LSU. I straight up, game. I walked out of that game in the third quarter. Yeah, so that's funny you mentioned that, and I'll go back to that throw because I think we need to continue highlighting that throw just while we're out here. But like that, Fres, this was giving me Fresno State vibes when we. You were, kept saying when, that too. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, we got Grayson McCall, which is one of. I was like, Chip Kelly's going to be talking and lauding how Grayson McCall is one of the best QBs. And Grayson McCall is making some great throws, right? I mean, granted, the guy's like, what, now he's a fifth year, I believe, at Coastal Carolina? He's a good quarterback. And, yeah, he's he's one of the – he's a, a better quarterback than most. You know, he ironically almost transferred to UCLA before our, our recruitments played out. And he clearly showed. You know, he went into that game – you know, it wasn't really a side narrative, but he had uh, somewhat of a chip on his shoulder – and you, you could kind of see how he was playing. He played, he got roughed up, and we'll get to the defense, you know, in a moment. Um, but 
he it, it, it was frustrating because I was like, this is going to be another Jake Hayner situation where we beat him up and he somehow makes these incredible throws because our poor secondary and and it just keeps him in the game. However, it was, you know, the, when when he made that touchdown at Grayson McCall, when he threw it against and, and, and his wide receiver obviously just beat Humphreys. Oh, my gosh, that whole drive was on Humphreys. But it, it, to get that counter back where Dante Moore came in and just threw that dime, that beautiful throw was just such – it was like the medicine we needed. And I was like, that is worth driving to the Rose Bowl and getting a free seat for Zed and <laughs> paying that parking price because that's something to remember. It was such a gorgeous throw. <laughs> I have not seen – a UCLA quarterback make a throw like that since probably Josh Rosen. And I think that that you mentioned that against Virginia Tech, didn't they the first one he he the first shot he took, they dropped. I think it was Kenny Walker dropped it. Yeah. And then he finally hit Thomas Dorote. He finally was, got one, but that first one there was a drop. That ball though, I mean that uh Dante threw that to Sturdevant. I mean, it was perfect timing, perfect touch. He anticipated exactly where the receiver was going to be, did not wait for him to get open. He led him to catch the ball right where he needed to, to not just get the long gain. Like, he could have thrown it a little shorter, probably would have got a big gain. It would have been exciting. But the placement was so good that he he hit him right in stride to where you not only got the big game, but it was just an easy long touchdown. Like he just put it where it needed to be for hit the receiver to take it and run. I have not seen that kind of touch from a quarterback in years. You can talk about DTR for all his faults, whatever, um, and how good he was in certain aspects of his game. DTR did not have touch like that. Rosen had no, touch, he, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, even D- when DTR had a few throws like that, but it, it felt like it was like out of his character. Uh, he had one against Colorado. I think it's he not hit, consistent. Uh, yeah, he had one against Colorado, and he hit um, – who was our favorite uh, former walk-on who was an RB and scored that USC touchdown? I can't remember his name, and I feel like a bad bro. Anyways, point is that DTR had a few, but this was like – on the money. I was watching it and it was, you know, these throws are perfect when you're worried that they're not going to make it to the receiver in time or they're going to be uh, underthrown just for that split second. And you're like, that's not overthrown because the receiver has it at that point. And it's not overthrown. It like it was right in the breadbasket. So it was a beautiful throw. And 62 yards. We'd already just, seen the touch from from Moore at that point, right? That first throw that I mentioned earlier to to J. Michael Sturdivant down the sideline where he was on the run. Again, the like placement of that pass where only the receiver could get it on the sideline while he was basically tiptoeing down the the edge to stay in was another beautiful throw like that touch and that placement again we haven't seen in a long time and that indicates to me that this is not just a couple fluky throws like this is consistency that we're seeing on the field and and as we see more game reps like we should see a lot more of this yeah 
And I, I think this leads us, is we this should segue to the fact that JMS caught it so confidently and having a wide receiver that may be... Uh, it, first of all, he's already lived up to the hype in one game, but he's looking like our best receiver we've had in, I can't even... Uh, maybe since I've been watching UCLA closely, which has been over tw- 10 years now, but geez. Like, to see that we have a legit wide receiver one, I mean, he had five receptions and 136 yards and a TD. Like, how refreshing is that to see those kind of catches he made throughout the game? Each catch was electrifying. Except, I mean, the first one was an easy, like, he kind of statted. It was a mesh concept, but he, he just caught in. He still broke some tackles, got some yards after the catch. But I'm excited about our wide receiving core. He's a guy that I think we can throw the ball in his direction and trust to go and get it. That's yeah. the kind of guy, he's that perfect combination of size, speed, athleticism. We haven't had a guy like that in forever. We've had good receivers, you know, that had faults. You know, they'd either be fast but short or, you know, not or tall but not fast and athletic but not you know you always had a little caveat with each of them but jms is all of those things like he's a guy that you know i hate to say this but he's a guy that southern cal has consistently right and does really well with and we finally have somebody with that kind of caliber of talent on our side and it's so refreshing to see him ball out in blue and gold rather than in any other color on earth and he's yeah like you said he's living up to the bill and watching that connection between him and Dante Moore again just further shows me that Dante Moore should be the guy yeah and those they two in chemistry. itself and it was yeah but it was funny to see how that played out because at first you saw Grayson with his guy Pickney and the, it was like, wow, this duo is killing us. And then you see that Dante's like, all right, I'll counter you. I got my JMS. Uh, so that was great to see. I think the one thing I'll say about the receiving core is that Logan Loya, you know, he had three catches, which were very solid. Uh, I want to see more Kyle Ford. He was only, you know, featured in that first series, and he had very two good catches with Ethan. But I want to see a kind of a dual, a, you know, dual uh, I don't want to say threat because that alludes to the QB, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like two wide receivers that are legit big guys who can go and get the ball. Because I think Kyle Ford can do that as well. So I'm excited. Ford to see looked how good. He looked Ford great. looked good. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think you're right. We have two big weapons there that we should be able to take advantage of. But I thought overall the receiving like rotation was really weird. We didn't see Cam Brown at all. We didn't see Titus at all really play or featured and this speaks to the depth of our receiving core but those are both very good talented receivers who we saw flash last year especially down the stretch like uh, both uh, Titus and Cam Brown can make plays for us uh, we just need to get them on the field more like I don't know why guys like Ryan Cragen who's a walk-on was featured so heavily it was really weird i thought to even that have him on the field that much yeah no completely i mean you, you start to wonder if chip kelly gets too much depth like is that a, that, that seems more like a curse for the first time like you see why you're like oh i i want him to recruit because he gets depth but when he gets it 
then he wants to give everyone a chance. Like, Ryan Cragen's been with the program for two years, and don't get me wrong, he, he sounds like a great practice player, uh, and you hear reports of him doing well, uh, but he shouldn't be above Cam and, and, and Titus. And I know the interception Garbers had was targeted to Cam, uh, and Cam kind of led him into that. I don't, you know, I don't want to give... I mean, Garber's number one shouldn't have thrown it, but the, Cam should have gotten more time and and also Titus. So just speaking again to this theme about weird rotations, it, it took place in the wide receiving core. It took place in the QBs. And then, I mean, also the rushing. Like, I, I was happy to see still had a great first series. He broke out, you know, some decent, really good runs, and you could see that strength, but... As soon as the O-line started to somewhat, they weren't able to get pushed, especially on the left side, he started to stall. But we saw TJ, especially with that right side of the O-line, he just took advantage. He looked so comfortable and explosive. And it, it is one thing that I was just like, all right, so TJ should be starting and then still back up until someone proves different. It was, I was fascinated. I mean, I wasn't fascinated, but I was surprised because I thought TJ Harden was going to get the nod. Um, because when Zach came in uh, a couple years ago, Brown was a starter, and then Zach wore, worked his way into the starting position. But, uh, yeah, that was another confusing one as well. But these guys still were able to get 153 yards, average five yards per carry. So it worked out, but it was still a mystery in terms of why one was starting over the other, or got more I, carries I, at least. I don't know if we're going to see like a pure starter out of this group, and I'm okay with that. Actually, I, I think a committee approach here is actually going to be good. You know, kind of a thunder and lightning approach where, you know, TJ Harden, to your point, like really does flash. Like he is a, he looks athletic, he looks fast, he, he's elusive and has that quickness and the strength that, that I, I think. Um, a combination of all those things Carson Steele doesn't have. But what Carson Steele has is just, like, he's a bruiser. Like, you see him, he's trying to run people over, and he's good at that. And so I think we have this kind of thunder and lightning approach here, to your point, to the tune of 150, you know, 253, whatever the stats you're looking at or saying. Yards, uh, I mean, T.J. Harden averaged 6.9 yards a carry, and Carson Steele averaged 5.8 yards a carry. So we're not... We're not hurting <laughs> in the run game here by any means. We have two very talented backs, uh, and I'm excited for to see these guys and how this uh, running tandem kind of develops. It reminds me of uh, you know when we had you know Felton and um, Britton Brown a couple of years ago, where oh, yeah, Brown was kind of yeah Brown was kind of that power back gonna gonna run you over enough speed to where if he got loose he could could run a long one but he was running dudes over and Felton was that kind of electric quicker back who could really anytime he had the ball in his hands could could be a house call and I think we're gonna see some combination of that this year with Harden and and Carson Steele and that's not a bad thing I think I think that also keeps the wear off both guys hopefully he can reduce uh, the chances of injury for either guy and, and can be effective and, and run game situations. The the thing I don't want to see is like <laughs> Chip Kelly getting too smart for himself and being like, all right, we're on a third and short and putting in Harden for some reason to do some dumb trick run or some 
weird play when we have a guy like Carson Steele sitting there that can run a guy over and get that, you know, yard or inches. And that's what I think you kind of mentioned this. Like, it's sometimes scary when Chip Kelly has depth because he gets weird with it. Yeah. And I think this would even, it would be a smaller quip if we didn't have the weird rotations all around. You know, if the RBs are splitting nearly the same amount of carries it wouldn't it, it just fell more into the theme of like how he treated this game it was a weird one uh so i guess to your point like the rbs weren't as glaring as the other two positions or in in that respect uh the o-line just quickly i i just think they need time to gel i mean two starters are back they're missing mafi they're missing goings like it's it's just gonna take some time so I'm not too concerned there uh but they did as the game wore worn on they were losing strength and and protection for at least more there was one INT that we saw and you know where they rushed seven and the O-line just was they'll get better so I'm not too concerned about it yeah pass protection was pretty bad yeah Um. and and that's a credit to Coastal Carolina. I, again, I, I'm in the boat of not kind of projecting how these teams would do for the rest of the season. Uh, Coastal Carolina, you know, has won 11 and 9 games respectively the past two seasons. Uh, but they have a new coach and we'll just see how they do in the Sun Belt before we judge them. The same way we'll hold off on Southern Alabama or Fresno State. We tend to have luck choosing a very good group of five uh, (laughs) team that tends to do well for the rest of the season and it revises our thoughts on how the game went you know so we'll see how we feel about this game in November in terms of the opponent but uh, we do know for now the one thing we can say is that Chip Kelly's weird with rotations and on the offense which he handled uh, what did you think about the defense of, you know, this brand new DC like that we have? Uh, so I'll, I'll start with some, some of the positives, I guess. I thought the front seven, the D line and the linebackers, especially against the run actually looked pretty good. Now, I don't think Coastal Carolina's running game is, is, you know, the best in the country or best in the world or anything. So I take this with a grain of salt a little bit, but I do think that they looked, excuse me, improved on that front. I think they, they were plugging the holes, getting in the backfield for TFLs. Like they were, they were able to stop the run for the most part. And I don't even, they, they must've rushed for, I would guess less than a hundred yards. I'm looking at it now. It's, they had 34 carries for 56 yards. I would say that is a pretty uh, successful <laughs> run-stopping plan. It was a 2 to 1.6 yards per carry. So I think we were successful there. I think the D-line looked looked the part on against the run. I think the linebackers looked the part against the run. I think that that whole group is fairly deep, fairly talented. I think where it fell apart a little bit was um, against the pass. And I'll start again with the D-line. We were getting in the backfield pretty often. I think, you know, um, Laitu Latu continued where he left off last season. I think he was credited with three sacks. 
I counted at least yeah. three sacks um, for him. So he he was a, a monster in the backfield. Like he was he was just taking Grayson McCall down as as often as he could. I think that there were a few times where we saw guys get in the backfield and just overcommit and miss. <laughs> um, I think that, and 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 I'm gonna get to this in a little bit, but there was a little bit of a lack of discipline there. I think the Murphy twins also were looked okay getting after the quarterback, but again, lack of discipline there, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. And I thought the linebackers as a whole. Yeah, I, go ahead. I I think I think you hit it. I, TV the announcers kind of did a good job of expressing a disbelief in the number of offsides. Which Jay Jay had the first one, and then the Murphys kind of took the mantle from him. Um, and we just it was it was very undisciplined. I was shocked because it's not like these guys haven't played for UCLA or they're freshmen and sophomores like. Um, I wasn't shocked. I was just annoyed, but uh, it, it that thing is easy to clean up, and it makes a big difference on the drives. But if we start to see that, that that can be a very big problem if we have offsides. I think how many offsides did we have in the past few seasons? You could probably count on two hands in terms of those type of penalties. So to have five, six, or six, six in the six in the same game yeah that that was kind of just it was just stupidity at that point um in in that sense I do want to say in terms of the linebackers is that I didn't see too much I I was kind of disappointed with Darius and I know how he seems to be overloved by the media more than you know what we see on tv uh, he gets a lot of, and he seems like a great person. You know, if you actually watch him interview, he's like the happiest guy. But he got burned on a few of those, and I, I, I think he overplayed a, a few wide receivers. And he actually led the team in tackles, but he was. So I don't want to say completely that he didn't have a. He's great not game. a good coverage was, guy. He's not, and that was glaring, and 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 I think Grayson took advantage of that with some of his spots because. Uh, Coastal was able to gain a few more yards than they needed to. Uh, and then the I just want to say on the DBs, while Kirkwood was the most disappointing and Davies kind of redeemed himself uh, and he showed the most instinct, and then Humphreys just had a, you know, a hot and cold. He made up with that interception, which, frankly, if, if they had better angles, they might have called back, but who cares? Uh, it was a great catch no matter what but he might have been out of bounds but uh I was disappointed Kirkwood and then on the flip side I was very man Kamari Ramsey was a gamer on the defense and I think he's going to make an impact um because he was making some key tackles that were a third down and luckily there was the one that he stopped short and it was fourth and one and Coastal would have gone for it on fourth if if it was closer but the fact that it was you know, I think on their, uh, it was, I believe it was like on their 39-yard line, uh, they weren't going to go for it. And so I'm really excited about Kamari Ramsey taking helm at the safety position. I think he's at strong safety, if I remember correctly. But, yeah. Yeah, so. That was kind of it. The secondary play, I think the safeties, Ramsey and Churchwell, both, to your point, I think they were both good. Uh, Ramsey was very good, and I think Churchwell was solid, but. Man, the corner play, it, 
you mentioned Humphrey, you mentioned, you know, Davies was okay. Kirkwood, who's been in the program, what, two, three years now, was was highly... Former four-star. Right, highly touted guy. Like, it's... At a certain point, it's like, when... (laughs) Is it the coaching or just the lack of talent? We've gone through how many coaches with a couple of these guys that have been here for a while, and the improvement just isn't there, and... It's hard to pin this on Danton Lynn yet. I, I don't think we can fairly say this that's it was a schematic issue or anything. I will say when we were playing that soft zone for about three quarters of the game, we kept getting burned because we were giving up so much space. The uh, coastal receivers would just find that pocket and stand there. Like there was no one going after them. They would just stand there be wide open and Grayson McCall again good QB was finding those spots and when we tightened up a little bit and played a little bit more man coverage I will say we got a little better um yeah but I don't know what it is with UCLA DBs we could be covering a guy to the T but for some reason, our DBs are just not taught to turn their heads. For some reason, I and this has been across coaching staffs at this point, and no one plays the ball. Like nobody plays the ball. Yeah, it it, it in that Pickney, the one touchdown that Coastal Carolina showed that um, over Humphreys, it, they just. It's very frustrating when the wide receiver knows exactly when to turn around, yet our DBs aren't able to react quick enough to that. And to your point, it sometimes it just is talent. Uh, it, it, I think it's unfair for most fans who were watching college football all day to to watch someone like Hunter and Colorado's DBs right, or younger right. guys and, and see those guys play and they just how they track down the ball. Um, and you're just like, wow, you can't, some of it you can teach, but some of it you're just like, holy crap. Instinct. Uh, and yeah. And then later on in the day, you see how our DBs just, just lack of physicalness. I mean, some of them just got pushed down. Humphreys, that whole drive was just embarrassing. And then to see how Kirkwood lets some, you know, things go. And you know how big he is. This guy's, he, I think he grew over the summer. He's like six, a legitimate six, four now. And he lost a bit, of, or actually, I think he put on a bit of weight, you know. So, you know, Kirkwood hasn't. I mean, I the kid's one of my favorite personalities on the team, so I can't help but root for him. But it's it, it there is something to be said what translates on the field. So these guys really got to pick it up and get a lot more physical. I am, I was excited by the Cody Whitfield hired as our DB coach. Uh, so I'm gonna give him some time. But same thing with O line. A lot of it just felt like work in progress besides the D-line and our LBs. So we'll see how this turns out. And San Diego State, I think, would be a good test. It'll be a good test. I'm not as worried about the O-line, to your point. I, I think Chip Kelly's proven at least time and time again, offense will be good or solid. Uh, we'll figure out something on the O-line, whether it's a Band-Aid or something that's actually tangible, but I I think we'll have effective enough O-line play throughout the year. Uh, I can't, I I won't say that about the secondary, though. I think we've seen this too many times in the last, uh, not just Chip Kelly era, but really like the last decade 
where we just don't play well in those positions. I I don't have a good explanation for it. So I, I, I'm not going to hold my breath for the secondary to actually improve any better. And if, if they don't get any better, then we're going to be in for a pretty long season here, especially against teams with big receivers, good receivers, and good, good um, quarterbacks. We're going to get torn apart, as we do every year. Yeah. So. That sounds like the Pac-12 from everything we've seen in the first week. That <laughs> sounds, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And not, what was your record prediction? I haven't listened to the episode with you and oh Kevin God. on the previews. What was your record prediction? So Kevin and I went through it game by game, stupidly, and went with the 10 and 2. And then we looked at ourselves. I love and, it. No, 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 hold on. We looked <laughs> at ourselves in the mirror and said, we are idiots. There is no chance in hell we're going 10 and 2. One of these inexplicable games like last season we're going to lose and we ultimately came to a nine and three with um, already feels a bit over (laughs) i agree but we were being slightly optimistic with a nine and three and then we did not predict the bowl game um not knowing what bowl and who obviously we would play at that point so Nine and three is like our optimistic viewpoint. I think we probably end up going like eight and four. Either way, both of those are kind of disappointing with our schedule. Yeah, and I I think to your point, um, again, I don't want to project. We know how Chip Kelly treats these conference games, and we're going to move on to the San Diego State preview just in a second. But uh, I think the theme of his weird rotations, not much promise or improvement on the dbs and uh hopefully we we get through our non-conference well i guess the next game is the more important one but with three and oh because i think that'll put us in a position to at least go six and three which we hope you know in non-conference we we hope to have especially with the lighter end of the of the Northwestern teams, which one of them looks great, but we'll get to that when we need to. Uh, but I also, I want to shout out Lopez. Oh, had the great special kicks. teams. Yeah. Um, weird things. Yank off being a kickoff returner is weird, but besides that, Lopez looked very solid as, as a field goal kicker. So that was cool to see. Um, that's, that's pretty much it with special teams for now. The, well, we'll the see. coverage I thought was really again. good. Like, our, our yeah. hunt and kick coverage looked great, which special teams for Chip Kelly in the last few years has always been a little iffy. This is the first game I feel like we've seen. And I'm like, okay, we look solid all across the board here, from kicking to punting to the, the coverage teams. The, we had a couple of great punts. Uh, Alex Powers, you know, pinned them back at the 10 and one-yard line a couple of times. So he looked he looked good. Yeah, and I, some people, you know, the older fans, I'm going to call them out, were like, oh, our team talks too much or they're being too chippy. I don't care about that at the other team. Coastal Carolina was, was mouthing off. You didn't, I don't think you saw it on TV, but they were getting upset about some annoying things, and, and so I didn't care about our team trying to fight them. We like, saw. <laughs> yeah. We saw a lot of it, and it was interesting. There was like one or two O-linemen on Coastal Carolina that were in the middle of every single fight. Um, 
it was number 66 was the one guy on their own line that I can, I can very vividly remember. And there was a point, I think the last kind of scuffle and flags that were thrown, um, one of the, the coastal coaches actually went and pulled the dude out of the like lineup, even though he wasn't really involved. Um, when they were kind of figuring out who was involved, he pulled him out and sat him on the sideline thinking that he was the guy who was going to get flagged a second time, I think. And then they named two other players, so they threw him back in there. But that I was like, okay, this this kid is in the middle of every fight with every other player here. Uh, I don't know what's going on down there, but I... I can't imagine this is a very one-sided UCLA issue only, especially since we've never really seen that with these guys before. Uh, no, the D-line yeah. especially is like, they're all returning players. We've never seen them really get chippy like that, so it was a little strange to see that, which I was kind of uh, thinking it was mostly Coastal Carolina kind of mouthing off a little too much, and then when you saw things like coaches pulling their players out, uh, making sure they weren't involved, I was like, "All right, I think uh, I think we know who the issue is here." Yeah, and I, I I'm not in. We're not Stanford. We don't need to be uppity up about this. This is football. So if it gets chippy, it gets chippy. I don't want us to be like Southern Cal. Uh, you know, prior to Riley, I haven't seen this with Riley's team, but the Helton teams they were just obnoxious and. Uh, they, I wouldn't worry about us being that. We have a good group of guys, so if they get chippy, they get chippy. And then the other thing, last point before we move on, unless you have some stuff to say, but I realized that Alamo, um, our former TE, like tight end slash, I think he just played tight end. We wanted him to play O-line, transferred mm-hmm. to Coastal Carolina. So uh, Matt Alamo was also, he, he got like a four-yard reception that I completely forgot, and he somehow made his way back to the Rose Bowl after transferring back home to Rutgers, and then he did a grad transfer. So I was looking that up as we were talking, and I that was a you know a quick shout out to him. Welcome back to the Rose Bowl. Take your L. And that's you know, a name I've not be... heard in a long time. Seriously, so there was a little bit of UCLA connection on the other side. I think the announcers mentioned it as well, but I missed that. I heard like the tail end of it, but yeah. Pretty cool to see. Uh, I'm glad that we got away without too much of a scare, as frustrating as the game was. We still knew, you know, after that 62-yard beauty that we've been fawning over, that we were we were pretty good and secure. And those interceptions, I, I'm happy with the, tur- the turnovers, Latu sacks that came at the end, you know, keeps them in the... And the whole conversation, the best D-line. So it, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot better. It also could have been a lot worse than than better so i'm i'm going with more positives than not but also just very confused at the end of it per usual with this coaching staff yeah um we'll see i i i hope we are now clearly in the dante moore era but we will see what happens next week i'm interested to see what uh chip kelly is thinking uh, the one person we didn't really talk about was Colin Sklee. Uh Is he going to actually touch the field at all? We were told he was in this last game, but it ended up being kind of a two-man competition at QB. So do we see him actually overtake Garbers at a certain point and see if he competes with Dante Moore here at all? I don't know. I, I can't say 
how I feel about Sklee, we haven't really seen him play. I know he was very good before he transferred, uh, a super productive quarterback, lots of lots of experience. Um, so hard to compare him right now, but I'm curious to see how he how he fits into this equation, uh, especially next week. Yeah, I I think for the preview for next week is you you already hit it, but who starts? Uh, do we see Sklee? And um, it, it, San Diego, the one thing on defense is that they have a running quarterback. And he had some dynamic plays against, I mean, uh, a cupcake in Idaho State. But making sure that we spy, because we just talked about how I was, I'm, I'm worried about our linebackers in terms of the coverage. But as long as we, we need a spy on Maiden, and then we should be okay. This team's not, um, you know, fantastic on offense, but they can move the ball and they're still well-coached defense. So if they get enough possessions, if we're being stupid on offense, then, you know, I, I'm not expecting a two-game win. I mean, a two-TD win, but uh, I am expecting a, a, a solid win where we hopefully aren't as stupid as this past game and our O-line looks better. That's my biggest thing. And what I mean by solid win is like seven to, to ten points. Given what I saw with Coastal Carolina, yeah, I'm 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 worried about this game a little bit. I mean, you think about a Ryan Lindley offense with a guy who can sling the ball and Jalen Maiden against our DBs. <laughs> um, it can be a little tough. I I think we need to be disciplined on the D line a little bit more than we were in this game if we are going to put pressure on the quarterback and actually hit home. Like we can't be overshooting our gaps. We can't be you know trying to just rush aimlessly against the quarterback. I think there needs to be a little bit more discipline on that end. But if we can't do that, then I I would be really really uh, scared of our our secondary holding up. Uh, against this this team uh, again against I guess really any team but uh, on the road first game on the road again in San Diego so we're not making a huge trip or anything and I think there'll be a good amount of Bruins down there it's gonna be I, I think a tougher game than we are expecting coming from uh back from a seven and six you know San Diego State Brady Hoke led team and the game is going to kick off at I think four thirty uh, local time, so PM, it yeah. won't be too. It, hopefully, it won't be too hot. I know Snapdragon has has, has been known to be kind of hot this in, in the same way the Rose Bowl is, but their fans have not shown up the past two games, and uh, so hopefully we do see a lot of blue. We get some support in there, and 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 whatnot. I I it's one of those games. Like I said, I am predicting. A ten, I mean, a seven to ten point win, rather than a two TD. But if we, it is also a game where if we get our head together and Chip Kelly treats this game seriously, we can win by a, a comfortable amount, and we can feel a little bit more positive about the rest of the season. But again, we're, it's just a confusing time and a six year Chip with who has a Ferrari in the garage. That um, could completely change the makeup of this team. We'll see if he decides. What would you say Schlee was, or Sklee? How do you say his name? Is this Schlee or Schlee? Schlee, Schlee, I don't know. All right, so what would you Colin. say? Kind of we'll call him Colin. Colin. What yeah, kind of car? He does have a, 
Yeah, if he if 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 we're saying that Ethan played like a Honda Civic, we don't want to call him a Honda Civic, but that's how he played. Uh, what do you expect Squee to be? I don't know. That's before it's, he gets in. It's, it's a hard question to to answer. So, so you had mentioned that you thought Garber's was a Corvette. I think that's fair. Uh, if if Moore was the Ferrari, Garber's pregame before we saw what he how he played was a Corvette. I don't know you based on Colin Schlee's production um, in the past. Based on his experience, I'm giving him like a he's he's gonna be like a Porsche 911. We yeah we comfortable saying that until I see him on the field. Yeah, I I can say that. I my one thing that holds me back is that he had two great wide receivers at Kent State. One was Tez Walker, who went to North Carolina, and the other was Dante Cephas, who had a great game at Penn State. You know, and one of them we targeted. So I want to see. I think to your point, I like the Porsche because he is fast. Uh, I think we can say that. You know, and he brings a different element to it. So if we get to see him during San Diego State, I think it's because we're winning comfortably, and that would be a good sign. I will say I don't expect to see him until NC Central uh, in the next game. Uh, that feels that's more in line with my expectations. But I, I ask that because we may see him during San Diego State, and I, I want to see how he plays in, in this whole rotation. So chip, 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 confusing depth world that we're in. On this note, I think, um, I think our expectations or your expectations or our predictions of what will happen with this rotation are definitely not going to align with anything that Chip is thinking because that man is a wild card. I don't know if he's always thinking logically with this kind of stuff. And so I would not be shocked in any way or form if somehow he threw Colin Schley out to start next game. Like, I, 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 I love should, that. Would, that should be our I, expectation, I actually. <laughs> I wouldn't even, like, bat an eye at that. I'd be like, oh, yep, that's, that's happening because it's Chip Kelly. Um, it will be interesting to see whoever plays at QB. Like, San Diego State always feels a solid to good defense, right? And I think I'm interested to see how Dante Moore fares against a more talented, better coach defense. I mean, we're not saying Coastal Carolina was terrible, but let's be honest, they weren't the greatest defense on earth. I, I think San Diego yeah. State is always respectable on that front. And so how does Moore, as a true freshman in an away environment, fair against a much better defense i don't know and and in chip kelly's head there is a chance that he's looking at this going all right colin schley this is a good time for him he's experienced he knows how to play in uh opposing stadiums like maybe this is the the play here and throws him in there and lets dante more ease into the game again i would not even this would not shock me in any way if he he did that. Like, it wouldn't even be the craziest thing that Chip Kelly's done while he's here. I know, which says something. I actually, I'm going to go with, you, you've you convinced me, because Colin didn't get any series <laughs> during Coastal Carolina. This actually makes the most sense. So we're calling it now. It's a BS exclusive. 
not a report, not uh, any tidbits, but just uh, deductive reasoning that <laughs> Colin is the starter for the San Diego State game. <laughs> Let's tweet it. It's sealed. It's sent out. Um, and we will see how it goes. Let's see if he's the Porsche. And uh, don't even be shocked if it's like a random running back starting too. <laughs> it's actually going to be Colson. <laughs> Finally, two years yeah, Colson, later. Yeah, Colson's gonna gonna run, run away with yeah. the the job in this game. I, I I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. I don't know why we scheduled this game. It feels like a weird game to schedule. I've been pretty, yeah. pretty like anti Mountain West scheduling for football, anyways, for a long time. It doesn't really get us any recruiting juice. It's one of those weird games where, like, yeah, you you better win, but those these teams are always good enough to knock you off. And if you do get knocked off, you get shit on for it because you should have won. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, one of those I, lose lose situations. And if you win, no one respects it. No one cares. I will say San Diego State because of their flirtation with the Big Twelve and their Final Four success has now gained a bit more respect as a program. Um, That's and, fair. And so them being a Mountain West team, I think the fact that they were even almost, they had a, a toe out of the Mountain West kind of, I in hindsight, yes. Scheduling these games are tough but and don't make any sense. But I think the administration prior to Jarman who did this, uh, they kind of lucked up that realignment has, I don't think losing to San Diego state, it's going to be bad for obviously national optics, but it's not a bad loss. It's still just a dumb loss because we don't need to lose to them. Um, and then I think Fresno state beating Purdue this past weekend shows that it's not just a West coast thing. You know, these, some of these mountain West teams can kick ass and, uh, yeah, man, we, we know that firsthand. Yeah. And so the big 10, it's so funny. Once these schools lose, the whole conference sucks. Purdue lost. And now the big 10 is like, it's a, it's the third best conference, which actually might be the reality. But, you know, college football is just weird. I want to stray away, and I think both of us do a good job of that, stray away from overreactions but I, uh, for the rest of the season. But we do know that with a Chip Kelly uh, non-conference, it's going to get confusing and it's going to get weird. So we shall see that at Snapdragon this Saturday. Snapdragon. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Awesome stadium name, by the way. Uh, but on that note, I guess some other quick hits before we sign off. Uh, women's soccer went down to, I think, 7th ranked BYU. Yeah, 7th ranked. And, and our team, you know, coming off a defending championship, hopefully, you know, we, we just get it together and we're able to defend that. Uh, later on in the year, but the, the women's team, I think they, they felt like they got dominated. And I know Turner had, she had a pretty nice goal, but we lost pretty convincingly. And then water polo, men's water polo, uh, took down number 10 Irvine, which was a good win, and then took down Concordia. Uh, so they had a pretty good weekend of wins uh, on their end. But, you know, UCLA is back. This is our last year in the Pac-12. Well, not for the water sports, but for the other sports so let's enjoy this last ride because you know we'll see in a few weeks what's happening with the pack too um and you know i think a lot of us are rooting for oregon state but 
uh, to win in whatever game that they don't play us. But uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a bittersweet thing that's going on uh, with this last season. I say we should all just come to appreciate uh, the, these wins and hopefully not any losses that we get. Yeah, one one last thing I will say on that point, the Pac-12, you know, death march that's kind of happening. I'm curious to see what impact that has on actual fan attendance at the Rose Bowl. I think there there's a chance there's some fans, some of the 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 gray hairs that are coming out here for that very reason. There's like a nostalgia factor of you know, it's the last time I get to see UCLA play against XYZ Pac-12 team. Uh, for, you know, maybe permanently, maybe just a couple of years until this all shakes out. I don't know, but it feels like there's a there's an air of finality here with the Pac-12. So I, I'm curious how that is playing into how if people are going to come to games or not. It's definitely playing part for me personally. Like, I want to go see Washington State play UCLA again. I want to go see Colorado. There's obviously the, the Coach Prime effect there as well, but... Before even, and and I think there is a vast overreaction maybe to Coach Prime here, um, which I'm loving. I this has made college football more even more interesting. It's making it fun for sure. But TCU may or may not be overranked, or may or may not have been overranked, and I think Prime beating them might be a little overblown. We'll see. Not going to get into that, but you know. Regardless of that factor, you know, wanting to go even see Colorado, who hasn't been in the Pac-12 that long, or, or I guess they've been in the Pac-12 since the Pac-12 was 12 schools, but in the broader history of the conference hasn't been around that long. Um, you know, makes me want to go see those teams a little more. Makes me even want to go travel up to, like, the Stanford game. Um, I know some of our, our friends up in the Bay are planning on going to that, but... There is that nostalgia factor. There's a little bit of a tinge of sadness and not thinking about playing these some of these teams we've been playing for close to 100 years, um, over 100 years in some cases next year. Um, so I'm curious to see if that's driving some of the uh, attendance at the Rose Bowl this year. We'll see. Hopefully it does. Yeah, and hope- I'll take anything. Hopefully we're winning. I, I could see that being a factor for a few thousand, you know, uh, even probably more um, fans going on, so I'm I'm with you. I am glad that we're p- playing Oregon State and Washington State this year. When we compare our you know our schedules to USC, because we get our you know our last shot at them, uh, and and we'll see. Uh, it's 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 going to be an interesting year for college football in general. But it, for us personally, as UCLA fans, uh, let's try to get everybody out to support you know our team during these changing shifting times yep let's do it um i think that's that's all we have uh for today uh, as always you know check us out on twitter we're always tweeting hot takes always tweeting um very emotional reactions during the game so if you want entertainment uh feel free to follow us on twitter uh as a disclaimer as i always like uh, put out there any in-game tweets are subject to change and are all completely and totally emotionally charged. Uh, people take those way too seriously sometimes. Um, and yeah, you can find this pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and 
everywhere else you can find a podcast. And with that, uh, we'll be back hopefully next week with a win. And uh, as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.